Lord, grant that we who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body would show forth in our lives what we profess by our faith. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please be seated. Growing up with a marine pilot as a father, I experienced many things that civilian people may not have experienced. Living on military bases is one of them. I grew up on military bases most of my life, but I distinctly remember the first time I lived in a civilian neighborhood. I was in the third grade. On the first night that we were living in this neighborhood, my mother was tucking me in and I remember I had this feeling that I had never had before. I w it was a scared feeling. I, I couldn't articulate it to my mother. So all I could do was ask, ask her, where are the guards, mom? I hadn't seen any gates. The neighborhood seemed different to me. And I was very concerned that there was no one watching over us. You see, I grew up surrounded by might and power, by order and regiment. I grew up on the tarmacs around military squadrons, helicopters, planes, battleships, armor, MPs, guards with guns. I lived in a fortress and I never felt afraid. And here I was, a little girl, in the third grade, maybe eight or nine. Where are the guards, Mom? I, I don't feel safe, Mom. I don't feel protected. I'm scared. I think the disciples might have been feeling a little bit of what I was feeling on, in that moment. In that moment, imagine yourself, right, in the upper room three days after the man that you thought was going to deliver you and the nation out of Roman rule, defeat the enemies of the land, and who would establish a Jewish kingdom independent, a kingdom that you would be probably one of the elite uh, of the kingdom. This man has been crucified. And now you, along with 119 of your favorite friends, are coward, hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish authorities, who were most certainly looking for you to kill you too. Can you imagine their conversation? He's dead. We've been following him for three years and he's dead. Boy, we were pretty gullible. What are we going to do now that he's gone? And they, what if they find out that we're his followers? And then Jesus comes into the room and he speaks to them. Peace be with you. Don't fear. Jesus speaks directly to their fear. He knows what they're experiencing. And he recalls the words of comfort that he had spoken at the Last Supper when he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. No, I don't give you what the world gives you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he says this, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Isn't that interesting? They're shaking in their boots behind locked doors. And Jesus says, my father sent me, now I'm sending you. It would be a joke if that was the last of it. But it would be like when I was in my bed asking my mother, uh, where are the guards? It was the last thing I wanted to do was get out of my bed and go anywhere. Right? It was hard enough being in the bed. 
But Jesus says, I'm sending you as I've been sent. And then he breathes on them. And then he leaves. He leaves. Now, Thomas wasn't there, right? Thomas wasn't there, but he comes in later on. And every, all, the, all the apostles are going, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He's here. He's, he showed us his nails, nail-scarred wrists. He, he, he showed us his side. And Thomas says, no, I'm not going to believe until I see it. And I put my fingers in and I put my hand in. And so Jesus comes to them a week later. Same thing. The doors are shut and locked. And this time Thomas is there and Jesus says, Thomas, come here. Put your hand, put your fingers here. Put your hand in here. Don't doubt that I'm the resurrected human. And Thomas believes. And he says these words, my Lord and my God. The words each of us get to decide as true for us or not true for us. The words that each of us have been given the dignity to say or not say. The words that when they're said, bring life. What I want us to notice here is the demeanor of the disciples. I mean, they are still like I was in, the be- in bed, wondering where the guards are. You know, you, even after Jesus came the first time and he breathed on him, they're still behind closed locked doors in fear what did John say they were afraid of the Jewish authorities they were afraid they would meet the same fate because they were followers of the rebel rouser Jesus but we should note that there were before Jesus led his followers there were as Messiah there were many messiahs and prophets who led bands of men to deliver the jewish people by from roman rule and one by one they and their followers were all killed off by the authorities so the disciples had every reason to be afraid but we would think that after seeing jesus resurrected and him breathing on him they would at least unlock the door the point here is that they were frightened and uneasy and anxious But this is not the case when we get to Acts 2. When Peter, standing along with the 11 outside the door. Well, let's read that first part. But Peter, standing with the 11, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Listen to what I say. Not only have they unlocked the doors... But they are boldly standing outside and speaking with confidence. What had changed for them? What changed them from frightened behind the door to going out and just speaking it? We need to set the scene for that. Peter is addressing the Jewish people attending the Shavuot. Shavuot is one of the three main festivals of the Jewish people. And it's required that all Hebrew men come to Jerusalem as a pilgrimage and be there. And so Jerusalem was packed out. And all of those who, who Peter is talking to had just witnessed the Holy Spirit coming in Acts 2, 1 through 11. That event... The rushing of the wind and the, and the fire coming down in tongues and them speaking in different languages, the gospel. That's, we're going to celebrate that on May 28th. But today we need just to note that it happened for the context of where we're at. So notice, 
how Peter is commanding their attention with the intention of instructing them about what they have just witnessed. This first speech of Peter takes them through the gospel narrative, focusing first on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But notice how he highlights the important connection between Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection with the fact that it was all part of God's plan from the very beginning as revealed in the prophetic psalm, that confidence psalm, Psalm 16. He notes that David, the one writing the Psalms, is, cannot possibly be writing in the first person. He was a prophet and was speaking of the Messiah when he wrote, He will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see the pit. Peter gets the point that Jesus is the one who's not abandoned. In fact, this Jesus was raised up from the dead and we, Peter, and the 11 that were standing with him, we are witnesses. Now that's pretty bold, don't you think? They've just, they have definitely come out of that safe house. They're no longer bound by fear and they're full of faith. They were speaking of the connection they had with, to Jesus. They were admitting to the people whose leaders had, had taken Jesus and given him to the Romans to be killed. That they, and they were saying, we are his disciples. It makes me think of how I was when I was living on base. I knew that the guards were all around. I knew that, that by living in a fortress, I had confidence and surety in living. First Peter tells us that we are protected by the power of God. Now, the apostles didn't get to read that, so what changed them? The lectionary doesn't tell us to read um, Acts uh, 2.33, but I want to read that because it gives us some, some understanding. Peter says, quote, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was poured out that this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, end quote. The power of God was poured out. It is the risen and exalted Jesus along with his father who has poured out the gift of the spirit. And it is this spirit that unlocked the doors for them. Gave them courage to be his witnesses. God never calls us to something he doesn't equip us with. He gives us everything we need. First Peter says, by his mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God. Those gathering, those that gathered experienced the power of God to live lives unto God, giving them the boldness to proclaim his name, to acknowledge that they were his disciples. We are given the same. What is our living hope, the living hope that Peter talks about? Let's reflect on the resurrection, on the divine humanity, Jesus raised to life, and what that means to us. 
God the Father begot his son, Jesus, who penetrated our muddled world. And he entered into union with our imperfect nature, saved us and transformed our human nature, raising it to a new level, not by power, but by a complete exercise of a fearless love, intentionally facing the world's worst. He goes to the cross and then he's raised up from the dead, resurrected, given new life. He's the first new human, the second Adam. And Jesus chooses not to show his glory, the glory of his divine new humanity in the temple or in the synagogue. No, he seeks out his scared, nervous, anxiety-ridden, behind-the-shut-doors, locked doors of the upper room disciples. He goes, he waits for them by the lake in the early morning. He walks with them along the Emmaus road. He breaks bread with them in their kitchens. Connecting in everyday moments of their human lives. Jesus, who led them for three years, walking along the roads, in the boats with them, doing miracles before them, re-enters into their chaotic, trouble-filled lives. Not for his sake, but for theirs, for ours. We who are being kept by the power of God are called to follow in his footsteps, the footsteps of his holy life. Because his holy life is the reality of the kingdom of God here on the earth. We must, we must as his people take the same way. Whoever wants to save their life loses it. Whoever, wants, whoever gives their life for his sake will find it. That is not just a saying. It's the reality of the genuine Christian life. Jesus showed us the way. Evelyn Underhill, in her book, The School of Charity, says this. Quote, the release of power, the transformation of life, which comes from unconditional self-abandonment, is guaranteed to us by the story of Easter and the 40 days. We too achieve all by risking all. Christianity is a triumphant heroism. But how do we, in quote, but how do we see this Christian heroism? We see it in radical obedience. We see it in Peter as he and the 11 unlock the doors, walk out, and stood and proclaimed their connection to Jesus Christ. Their witness to his life. That it is the way, the truth, and the life. Those disciples cowering behind locked doors were asked to come out behind, from behind the doors. Join in God's radical plan to save the world. Join by being witnesses to Jesus. To his kingship. And to the, um, the immense love and faithfulness of our Father. Every Christian, every one of us, 
can unlock the doors by the power of the Holy Spirit, unlock the doors of our hearts and share the abundant life, which we all discern in prayer and our worship by walking out the doors to willingly use the sure living hope that we possess as material for expressions of love. Jesus proved to us there's nothing elite about the Christian life and Christian holiness. Losing our life in the little things is the way. We see Christian holiness when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. We see it when we sit with the lonely and the downtrodden. When we give a ride to somebody who can't drive anymore, come to church. When we give a hug or we smile at somebody passing us by. When we open our homes in hospitality. A little water, some fragments of bread and a chalice of wine are enough to close the gap between the two worlds. And to give the soul the sense of something that feels safe. Mom, where are the guards? How many people? Just outside these walls, or maybe even within the walls, maybe it's you, maybe it's me, need to know the reality of Psalms 15, 16. Need to know that there's a kingdom with boundaries that enclose a pleasant land. Or the Son of God watches over us and prays and protects. Where someone cares enough to teach and instruct in living. Where the Lord is ever before us and our hearts and our spirits rejoice and our bodies can rest in hope. A place that's a fortress. Evelyn Underhill says this best. Quote, perhaps there's no more mark of mature spirituality than the way in which those who possess it are are able to enter into a troubled situation and say peace. Or to turn from the exercise of heroic love to meet the humblest needs of humans. Would you pray with me? Lord, grant that we who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body which show forth in our lives what we profess by our faith. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.